0: Alright, the book of Ephesians chapter 3, we are coming to the end of Paul's description of this great mystery, this mystery that has been hidden throughout all the ages, meaning it was not revealed in the Old Testament, but it has now been revealed in the New through the Apostles and the Prophets. And what Paul was doing, he's going to wrap this up because it is the foundation of everything else in this book. Every commandment, every endorsement, everything that Paul tells us to do, he tells us not to do, is all being motivated and energized through the understanding of this mystery. So let's begin reading in chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 again, down through verse 13, and our text for this afternoon, this morning is verses 7 and following. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I asked you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. What we know in Ephesians, in these first three chapters, among other things, is that Christ himself is interceding on our behalf. And what he is interceding on our behalf is this, that we might be gifted the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God the Father. Not only is Christ himself interceding for us as a church for this, Paul himself interceded this for the church at what city? At the city of Ephesus. This was God's will for this church to know and to fully understand what this mystery is and its operation within the church of God. And we too, I trust that you have these few weeks as we've gone through this chapter been praying this prayer for us. That we too, as a congregation, any who might listen to us through audio or any other forms of media, that that here would be granted this wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and Father in three specific ways so that we would walk away with the hope of God the Father's calling in our life, that this would feed us and increase in our spirit, and that we would come to understand the riches of this. And this is really one of my burdens for us and our congregation, that we would value this wealth that is God the Father's inheritance that is in His people, in the saints, that we would know an increasingly higher and higher valuation of that inheritance. And then thirdly, that we might know where all this was brought about. This was brought about according to the surpassing greatness, the surpassing Greatness of God the Father's power toward us as believers, that He brought all this together at a historical moment that is, at Christ's own death, burial, and resurrection. That when Jesus Christ said, It is finished, it was finished. And God the Father's power brought all this about in Him. Our atonement, our forgiveness, our redemption, the new creation of a people within His Son, of whom He is the second Adam. He is the second humanity. All of this was brought about at that historical moment in His death, burial, and resurrection how much surpassing power would it take to accomplish that? God the Father and Christ and Paul and those who pray this prayer, that's exactly what he wants us to be walking away with. And on the basis of that, if you look in chapter 1 of Ephesians And you look down at the mystery of His will, He'll tell us what that mystery is in verse 10 when He says, It is the summing up of all things in Christ. In other words, in the person of Jesus Christ, whether they be things in heaven or whether they be things on earth, everything is going to be summed up in Him. And on the basis of that understanding, you'll note again, chapter 3 of Ephesians, look at verse 1, it begins this way, for this reason I, Paul, he's going to say the exact same phrase in verse 14, for this reason I, so what Paul's doing is he's coming out of chapter 2 He is actually heading to praying for the church at Ephesus and its membership. But in the meantime, he pauses in order to give to us the uniqueness of his ministry. And not only that, but his place within that mystery. So that we can be assured that he has a part of it. Did Timothy have a part of it? Do we have a part in this mystery? And the answer to that is yes. Now that mystery involves a lot of things, this aspect of being in Christ. But what Paul is going to mention here, specifically, is the incorporation of two ethnic bodies of people. Believing Jews, and believing Gentiles. That those two people, look at verse 6 of Ephesians 3, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This incorporation into this one new man No longer the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. That dividing wall was contained in ordinances of the law. That was put to death in the death of Jesus Christ. But now there's this one new humanity, and there is no more dividing wall. Gentiles and Jews inherit the promises together. Jew and Gentile belong to the same body. And Jew and Gentile share in the same promises. So when we hear something like written to Israel, that there is a coming kingdom, is there a coming kingdom? There is one that is coming to earth and there is one that is comprised with all believers who are in Christ. That, that promise to that nation is still true. We're now joint one in those promises. We have been engrafted, as Romans 11 would say, into that vine of the promises made to the fathers in Christ Jesus. Now folks, would you call that a gift? Would you call that grace? Grace? Would you call that undeserved? Would you call that mercy? And so what we learned is this, that God the Father gifted grace to Paul in order to administer the riches of Christ. How? Bringing to light this mystery for the glory and the good of Gentiles, that's all of us here, so that God the Father's wisdom would be made to all, thereby bringing God His glory. So folks, when we talk about glorifying God, This is what we mean by that. That through the agency of the church, the wisdom and the knowledge of this mystery being worked out in a local New Testament church by us walking in those four ordained good works, that brings glory to God. It signifies something to those that are in the heavenlies now i want to begin this section verses 7 through 13 and i want to begin it in an unusual way i want to begin with the ending of it and so i want us to look at verses 11 through 13 when paul says all of this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in christ jesus our lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. So I asked you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, which is your glory. Now folks, everything that we have looked at and everything that I have summed up for you in a very brief summary, all of this is the will of God. It is His eternal purpose. Everybody see that phrase in verse 11? This is His eternal purpose which He carried out in what person? Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is the purpose that existed in the eternal God before the creation of the heavens and the earth. This eternal purpose was planned before the foundation of the heavens and the earth. And it is the carrying out of this eternal purpose that brings him the glory, now please hear me, all other wills of God all subsist under the umbrella of this eternal purpose. For instance, is it God's will for us to walk in humility and gentleness with all patience? Yes. It is God's will. But it is a will that subsists under the umbrella of this eternal purpose and will of God. Is it God's will for us to have a proper type of home? Yes. It is God's will for this. But that will... <coughs> subsist underneath this eternal umbrella of the purposes of the will of God. Even the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ subsist under this eternal purpose of God. Everything, my calling, Paul's calling, Timothy's calling, every minister's calling, all subsist under this eternal purpose of God, this mystery of summing up all things in Christ. Everything subsists underneath or within this will and purpose. And folks, I think, (coughs) excuse me, I think that at least in the past we've all said, well, what is the will of God for this particular thing in our life? And we sought for that, and that's not a bad thing to seek. We saw that we ought to have this type of family life, this type of life within a church congregation, this type of aim, this type of purpose in our preaching. But what we have missed is the very foundation of all those different wills that subsist under this will. So in a sense, we can say, you and I now know the will of God. What is the will of God that we are to be walking in? This summing up of all things in Christ. Are there different purposes and wills underneath that? Yes, there is. Such as being kind one to another forgiving one another, even as Christ also forgave us. Husbands loving their wives, like who loved the church? Christ loved the church. All of those things are the will of God. But folks, we're missing the very motivation and energizing by us saying certain things like, well, we really don't know what the will of God is. We now know what the will of God is the carrying out of this mystery and it is an eternal purpose <coughs> excuse me if you look back in chapter 1 <coughs> and look at verse 4 right after he says that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places <coughs> he chose us in him before the foundation of the what of the world look at verse 9 he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, now listen to this, which he purposed. Everybody see that? There's that eternal purpose. Verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. Everybody see that purpose? There's this will of God and there is this eternal purpose that he is carrying this out. We won't turn to it, but Romans 8, verse 28. You know that verse? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Now hear this. To those who are called according to his purpose. Everybody hear that? This is that eternal purpose. Or in Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, when he talks about Jacob and Esau, those twins that were born to Rebekah, he says, though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's Purpose, everybody hear that, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand not because of works but because of him who calls that's why it was said to the younger, and then he gives that word of promise to that younger person. It's all according to the eternal what the eternal purpose, or as we read for our scripture reading, <clears throat> Paul tells Timothy, listen to what he says. God has saved us, Paul and Timothy, that's who he's writing to. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, now hear this, which was granted us where? In Christ... From all eternity, but has now been revealed. Is that not amazing? Folks, we, when we think about God, <clears throat> He is both understandable in the sense that He has revealed to us certain things but the fact of the matter is God is above our logic. He is incomprehensible and searchable are all of His ways. This planned purpose, <clears throat> this eternal purpose, as we go back to Ephesians 3, that planned beforehand purpose is in operation Today. It was accomplished in His Son at that historical moment some 2,000 years ago and the outworking of that purpose in Him is going on in this world today. Can you see it? Look around. You and I, say bye. Grace, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has before ordained for us to walk therein. In Christ, who is the mediator of all God the Father's blessings and accomplishment, Jew and Gentile. Look at what it says, Ephesians 3. <clears throat> Look at verse 12. In whom, that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, we. Do you see the word we? Jew and Gentile. Gentile. We have boldness and confident access through faith. In who? In Him. In Christ. Everybody see that? Folks, we can now have a way of approach to God. That is certain. This is the way of approach to God. No doubt about it. No debate about it. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way. Everybody hear that? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, he says. We have this way of approach to God. And it is sure And it is certain. And because we have that confident access, that certain way of approach to God, we can come to Him with all boldness. Now folks, that word bold doesn't mean for us to approach God arrogantly. The word bold means simply all the words. You say, what in the world does that mean? It means we have a certain way of approach to God through Christ in which we are open and plain with Him. Nothing to hide. We can speak it all to Him. Not like Adam. When he was there and he sinned, what did he do? Hid from God. He was not bold towards God. He was not all the words open with God. But now that we have this certain way of approach to God, we can have boldness, just like Hebrews says. We come with boldness to the throne of, to the throne of grace. And folks, all of this boldness and certainty of access in Christ. Look at verse twelve again is not by our works. It's through what? It's through faith. Do we hear that? Folks, even as a believer, if you're going to say that my access toward God depends on my performance, you're going to lose your boldness. You're going to lose your coming to God because you coming to God, you're going to see your failures. You're going to see your inadequacies. You're going to wonder, am I being good enough, mature enough? Am I fulfilling all the commandments? No, it's through what? Through faith in Christ that we approach Him. And folks, this is why when Paul sums all this up, he says to the Ephesians in verse 13, I'm asking you, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart at what? His sufferings. Folks, I don't know if this has happened to you, but it has happened to me on a repeatable basis. I have come to my Bible, and I have opened up my Bible, and I have asked the Lord to show me, give me understanding, give me illumination of those words. I have begun to meditate on those words. I have become to understand the wisdom of God. I have become to understand the implications of that on my life. And then I think <clears throat> about Paul, who says, Follow me. Do you hear that? And I'm like, Not so sure about that. <laughs> Folks, where is Paul when he's writing this epistle to the Ephesians? He's in prison. What is he thinking about? The glories and the riches and the wealth of this mystery. It's because of the mystery that Paul's in prison. And folks, it will be because of the mystery that the church suffers. And when we come to understand that, there's this hesitancy in our flesh to really Pursue Christ with all our energies because we really do see this as the incomprehensible riches of Christ. And Paul says, don't lose heart as you read about my tribulations. Don't lose heart as you read about those saints in the 1040 window that are suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. Don't lose heart as you read about the agonizing things that have gone on in church history. Don't lose heart about this. Don't lose your motivation to continue in the faith. Don't lose your motivation to do this. One thing I do, to stretch forward for the high price of that calling in Christ Jesus. Don't lose your motivation, regardless of what age you are, to get in your Bible to understand this knowledge, which is eternal life, and to be changed by that. There's no retirement from this transformation in our lives. Don't lose heart as you hear about paul's sufferings as you hear about his imprisonment folks he's going to remind us of that imprisonment look at verse 1 when he's of chapter 3 for this reason i paul the what the prisoner of jesus christ he talks about it again verse 13 my tribulations he's going to mention it again in chapter 4 verse 1 therefore i the prisoner of the lord implore you Don't lose heart at this. What Paul says is this. I am expendable. I am expendable. Because this mystery is of such wealth that there's no comparison to me. And this mystery is of such wealth that it is the glory of the Gentiles. Everybody see that? This is why Paul says don't lose faint at this. And folks, the simple truth is this. The more you value this mystery and the outworking of this mystery the less you will value yourself. If you want to conquer, I'm going to use this word, selfishness in your life. It is the understanding and the knowledge of this eternal purpose which is in Christ Jesus. It just destroys all this to the place that you can come like the Apostle Paul when he says this, I count all things as dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do you hear him saying that? He gave it all. He counted it as garbage, his reputation, his citizenship, his heritage. His keeping of the law. He counts it all garbage on the dust heap of this earth for that knowledge that is there. This is how Paul could say while he was in prison when he wrote this this prison epistle to the Philippians. Rejoice! And again I say to you, rejoice! He's feeling the imprisonment. He's feeling the... The buttresses against his faith. He's feeling the trial. He's feeling the fiery trial of his faith. But in the midst of it, what is he thinking about? The accomplishment of this eternal purpose in Christ and his part in it. Hallelujah for that. What Paul is saying is that the mystery of this eternal purpose, that is, everything being summed up in the person of Christ, had been entrusted to Paul for the sake of the Gentiles, and that entrustment had brought him tribulation and imprisonment. But behold, look at this. Look at the glory of his grace in me, Paul says. Look at him enduring. Look at the grace in you. God's grace working in me, was it? God's grace working in the lives of the believers at Ephesus, was it? This is to the praise of the glory of his grace. This is so, as Romans 15 says, the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. This is what it's all about. And folks, isn't it amazing that God can sum up in just a few short sentences everything that we are to be about. Everything. All the wisdom flows out of that. All the revelation of the knowledge and the descriptions of that all flows. And this is what God wants His church to know with all wisdom and knowledge concerning God the Father. Have you ever wondered why we... Don't? Why isn't this the driving force of missions? Why isn't this the driving force of local New Testament churches? Why isn't this being confessed among all the Gentiles in which we live? Why? We don't know it. (laughs) That's why. You and I can't confess what we don't know with greater and greater understanding. But God the Father wants you and I to embrace it, and to know it, and to live it, and for it to mold our very life. Now folks, that mystery, that eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, that which brought him suffering in his life, but he totally disregarded it because he saw God's grace working in his weakness and he saw God's grace working in the Ephesians' life. He died, they lived. This is God's grace. Paul was made a minister of this. Look at verses 7 and 8. Of which I was made a minister... According to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Everybody see that? Folks, God, now follow the verb here. God made him a minister. Now, the word minister is not a word, it's a word that we're familiar with, but we're not really familiar with the definition of it. A minister is one who serves. So we could say that we have, you know, a minister of, we could say, Parliament. What does that mean? Well, hopefully it means that that man is serving what institution? Parliament. But Paul was not made a servant of Parliament, or of Congress, or of a local government. In this context, what he means is he was made one who serves... God the Father, on behalf of this mystery. That's what he means by that. Was Paul granted this mystery, an understanding of it? The answer to that is what? Yes. Yes. Does he want the Ephesian church to understand this? Yes. Yes. Does he want them to see exactly how comprehensive his understanding of that is? Yes. He was made a minister. What he means by that is one who serves God the Father on behalf of this mystery. And it was gifted to Paul. It was a grace that was gifted to Paul. It was gifted both in his conversion. For by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of ourselves. And it was gifted to him in his call to preach. To preach what? The unsearchable, the incomprehensible riches of who? Christ. Everybody see that? That's what he's called to do. He's not called preeminently to preach how to have a good family. Although how to have a God-glorifying family is part of this mystery, yes? But that's not what he's called to do. He's called to serve God the Father on behalf of this mystery, a mystery that he brought about in Christ. And he says it, look in verse 11 of this chapter. He says this eternal this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. And folks, this grace, both of his conversion and of his calling to minister this mystery, was exceeding precious to this man. He says in verse eight <clears throat> to me, the very least of all saints this grace was given. Folks, we sang Amazing Grace. That song was written by what man? John Newton. John Newton. That man was a slave trader. That man bought and sold people. That is an atrocity, isn't it? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound, John Newton writes, who saved a wretch. Do you hear him? Like me. Once was lost, now I'm found. Blind, but now I would. But Paul was a worse wretch than that. Folks, he was one who murdered believing people. He murdered them. He put them to death. He tortured believers. Can you imagine watching someone be tortured? He chased around Israel and into strange lands the saints of God to imprison them. This man stood by and watched Stephen be stoned. Now folks, that doesn't mean very much to us because you have probably never watched a stoning. You've never heard the head of someone being broken by a rock. You've never seen the blood flow on the ground. And that man stood by and gave his approval to that. It's that man, now think about it, it's that man that grace was given to and saved him. And folks, it was so amazing that the early church in Jerusalem was very hesitant to have Paul come and be among the believers. They thought he was just faking it. Kind of like a KJB or someone would infiltrate a Bible-believing congregation so that while you are listening to the sermon, they're writing down the names of the people there so that they can be captured and imprisoned. It's that man that grace was given and they were saved. Now folks, here's something even more amazing. It's that man, the most insignificant of all people, that God gave this mystery to and told him, go preach it among the Gentiles. Do you see the elevation of that? The insignificant, only fit to be trodden underfoot by sinners and believers, that insignificant one placed in a prominent position, Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he never lost the insignificance of who he was. And folks, as you and I come to understand this mystery and the greatness of this mystery, you won't grow in pride. You will be humbled to the place where in the sight of God you might say, I am the least of all saints. I am the most insignificant of every believer me, Paul. That grace was given to me. And folks, as a conclusion to that little section, I want to say this to us. Every true minister of God is made a minister by His grace. You're not born a minister of this. You're not schooled to a certain place where you get to be a minister of this. This minister, this serving God the Father on behalf of this mystery, comes as God's grace works in our lives. And folks, that's the type of pastor you want. That's the type of evangelist you want. That's the type of missionary that you want. And folks, that 's the type of church member that you want, one that is serving God the Father on behalf of this this mystery, walking a worthy walk one to another by grace. Secondly, there is the necessity or the duty of a true minister you 'll see that in verse nine <clears throat> He is to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Folks, a true minister has a twofold obligation. One, he is to preach the unsearchable, the incomprehensible, Riches or wealth of who? Christ. Now a lost person will say, I don't see any practical value in that. They will say, this doesn't help me through the week. They will say, this doesn't motivate me at all. But in a genuine and a mature believer... This is what is the most exciting thing, the most motivating of all things. The wisdom and the knowledge of this. Listen to what Paul says. We don't preach ourselves. Do you hear that? We don't preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul says this, To this end Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord, both of the living and of the dead. Folks, there's nothing wrong with us talking about Jesus being our Savior. But the end, the goal of our being converted is not merely to say my sins are forgiven, I get to go to heaven. It's that He is Lord of our lives. Everybody hear that? Because that is not what people want to hear today. They want a Savior while they themselves are Lord. Paul says, we don't preach ourselves you want to know what the, one of the duties of a minister is? Do you want to know the necessity that's laid on a true minister of God? Christ is Lord. And in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's him, everything else is subservient to that. But, folks, that's not the only thing that he's to preach. <clears throat> He is to, verse 9, to cause the saints to see this mystery. Everybody see that? Look at at verse 9. And and to bring to light what is the administration of the what? Mystery. Mystery. Everybody see that? It's my job as a minister. That necessity is laid upon me. That's obligation in my call to preach is to cause the saints, the people of God, to see this mystery. It's God's will for you to know this mystery. It's God's will that this mystery not be kept hidden from you, but to be open to all. Because it is the driving motivation for the local New Testament church. Listen to what Paul says. Turn over to the book of Colossians. Look in Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> he's going to say in verse 24 that he's suffering afflictions. He's doing his share on behalf of his body, which is the church. Now know verse 25. Follow what he's saying here. Of this church, I was made a minister According to the stewardship from God, had he already said that in Ephesians, which was bestowed on me by God for your behalf, so that, verse 25, so that God's grace came to him, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Now, if you just stop right there, you're going to miss it you're going to think that all that means is, okay, preach Genesis through Revelation. But he specifically says, verse 26, when I'm talking about the preaching of the Word of God, that is, I'm talking about the mystery which has been hidden from past ages and generations but has now been made manifested to his saints. It's been made manifest to what people? to his people, to the saints. Verse 27, to whom, that is the saints, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. The hope of what? The hope of glory. So you have this eternal purpose, this summing up of everything in Christ. And as Gentile people, we're now part of that. How are we part of that? We're in Christ. Amen? And Christ is in us. That organic union. Now look at verse 28. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ for that purpose... The carrying out of this mystery, for that purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Everybody, see his aim? His aim is to cause the saints to see this mystery, to admonish the saints, to admonish every man, so that every man has an opportunity to be saved to be summed up, to be brought into this mystery in Christ. And having been brought into that mystery, now Paul says, I'm going to teach, I'm going to admonish, I'm going to instruct, I'm going to cause those saints to see this mystery and it's outworking. And I think that the church has been a failure in that. Folks, it is this mystery and the grace of this mystery that drove the Apostle. And it is this mystery and this grace, follow me, that carries us to maturity. Did you hear that? We are complete in Christ. But that's a positional completeness. Now God wants that completeness to be outworked in our lives. And folks, we will never reach the maturity that Christ has designed or Paul aims for or the New Testament aims for in our life without an understanding, without a meditation, without the wisdom of God being given to us, without the revelation of this knowledge coming to us so that we can see it will never be brought to maturity that God has for us on this earth and ultimately in heaven forever and ever. And folks, here here's an amazing thing about this as we go back to Ephesians 3. <clears throat> look at what he says here <clears throat> when he says <clears throat> that these things, verse 9, in previous ages, have been hidden in God. Everybody see that? How does he describe God? He created all things. Now I'm going to ask this question, why did Paul say that? Folks, could Paul just have said that for the ages have been hidden in God? Could He have said that? And He could have just put a comma or a period there and gone on. Why does He add that description? God who created all things. And folks, here's why I think He wrote that. So that you and I would know that God knew this eternal purpose did He? He knew it before the foundation of the heavens and the earth, did He? And when He created all things, did He? Okay, now follow this. When He created all things, He did it in light of that eternal purpose. He created the heavens in light of that eternal purpose. He created the earth in the light of that eternal purpose. He created the plants, the animals, everything that you see, angelic beings, visible or invisible. He created all in light of that eternal purpose. The very fact that you and I were born on a certain date on this planet, it all is serving that eternal purpose. The fact that you and I have been saved by His grace where we have been freely saved by God's grace so that we voluntarily choose Christ, it was all in agreement with that eternal purpose. And that the end of all things is all in agreement with that eternal purpose, a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Folks, from the beginning to the end, it's all serving that eternal purpose. The one who created all things. And folks, this is going to help you understand statements like this when it says that God created all things for the good pleasure of his will. Everybody hear that? Everything that's been created has been created in light of this eternal purpose. And, folks, I just stand amazed that you and I, God has shared with us that eternal purpose. He didn't have to. And that brings us, lastly, to verse 10 <clears throat> the aim of a true minister. He was made a minister by the grace of God, he has a twofold necessity laid upon him, or the duty of a minister. Now, what is the aim? Folks, if I'm made a minister, if Paul is made a minister, and he's giving a twofold aspect that he is to serve people with the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make the saints see this mystery, all right, what's the aim of all that? And the aim of all that is in verse 10 so that, everybody see that phrase, so that the manifold wisdom of God. Remember, that's what he prays, that we would have the spirit of wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Everybody see that? Folks, the aim of God's mystery, the summation of all things in his Son, and the eternal purpose, God now, In our generation, in our age, God the Father wants this manifold wisdom to be made what? Uh Known. And folks, we don't really... I don't mean this cavalier. We don't really care at this point what other churches are or aren't doing or what has been accomplished or what hasn't been accomplished. What we're concerned about is why God shared this with us. (laughs) He wants us to know and understand this wisdom of this mystery and He wants us to make it known. How is he to make this known? Well, look at verse 10 again. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. What's the next three words? Through the church. Through the church. Notice he didn't say through his ministers. That's what a spectator congregation wants. They want to spectate and watch the ministers do the work. No. It's to be seen through the church. This manifold wisdom of God is to be made known in the church and through the church. So that the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies can come to an understanding of that mystery. Now there's a lot of debate over whether these rulers and authorities are evil or whether they are good or holy. I lean toward evil and the reason why I say that is because later on in chapter 6 he's going to use this exact same phrase talking about evil principalities and powers. But folks, if it is evil angelic authorities that God is wanting to make known the wisdom of this mystery through the church, church, we have to understand that even though they're evil, they have been disarmed. They still seek to carry out their evil rebellion through the sons of disobedience. But they have been disarmed. The power of death, which was their armory, it was their power, has been broken at the cross. They have been disarmed, the book of Colossians says. If it is the holy angels, then I think what Peter wrote certainly comes into play when he says that these angels long to look into the gospel. To behold the wisdom of God through the church. We are the teachers of these angels. It's amazing, isn't it? Folks, they are to see Christ's love for the church. They are to see His sacrifice for the church. They are to see the sanctification of the church. The being made holy. They are to see the cleansing of the church. They are to see His nourishing of the church. They are to see His cherishing of the church. They are to see Christ present His church as the model of His wisdom. They are to see a church with no spot or wrinkle or any such thing or any defilement. They are to see a church that is blameless and holy, which is exactly what Ephesians 1.4 says the end of it is, that we would stand before Him holy and without blame. Folks, this is the glory that has been given in the body of Jesus Christ. And it is seen in the church by these four ordained good works. When they see a group of believing people who are walking in humility, they see the wisdom of God. When they see a group of people showing tolerance for one another in love, they see the wisdom of God. When they see us walking in gentleness and goodness, they see the wisdom of God. When they see us walking under patience, they see the wisdom of God. When they see a body diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, they see the wisdom of God. When they see one body, Jew and Gentile, different ethnicities in a congregation, they're seeing the wisdom of God. Do you see it? And it brings glory to God when that happens. Now, I don't know about you, but this is big. (laughs) And it is worthy of your meditation so that God would minister to you the wisdom and the knowledge of it. May God grant us that wisdom and knowledge that the hope of our calling would be increased, that we would know the inheritance that God the Father has now in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we would know the surpassing greatness of this power that was brought about in the Son of God and now is being administrated by one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, to His people, Jew or Gentile. This is amazing. And may God grant us that. And if you're here this morning and you're lost in your sins, you ought to be thrilled to turn from your sin and accept this great work that God did in His Son. Because if you're not in Christ, and Christ is not in you, you will be outside where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.